Again, guys, welcome. My name's Tom, if we haven't met yet. Uh, pumped for this morning. I think this is going to be a special one. Uh, we are currently in the second week of a short series that we started last week uh, called We Are Restored. And what this series is, is we're going through our five values as a church. Okay, uh, we have five of them, like I said. The first is gospel. We talked about that last week. Uh, Today is family. Um, we have dependence, mission, and multiplication. So gospel, family, dependence, mission, and multiplication. And the reason we're going through this series on our values is because we want to, like, we want to be reminded and, and want things to be clarified for us about who we are as Restored Church, okay? The goal is to help all of us kind of get on the same page about what we value because what we value, it informs what we actually do. Like it influences our behavior. It has a huge impact on things, okay? In other words, what we value, it actually determines the kind of church that we're going to be moving forward, okay? We can have all these lofty ideas and we can even have good theology and wonderful relationship and all that's great, but we want to be a people who are, one, following God's direction as a church and, two, actually living out our values so that we're not hypocrites. Uh, If the church has one reputation, (laughs) it is hypocrites. We don't want to be those type of people, okay? We want to be very clear. What it is, what is it we value because those values are going to determine how we behave, Okay? So yeah, if you were with us last week, we talked about the gospel, uh, the greatest news in the history of the universe, and we talked about how it's not advice, it's not directions, it's not things to do, it's news, it's glorious, beautiful, joyful news about what's been done in the person, in and through the person of Jesus Christ, okay? We talked about how the gospel, our first value, is like the most important thing. We talked about how if our values, our five values was a solar system, the gospel would be the sun. It would be what everything else, the rest of our values, what they orbit around, what they revolve around. The gospel is the center. If you haven't, um, if you missed that talk, I don't normally like promote um, (laughs) sermons, uh, but either way, I I think it would be helpful Listen back, because it'll help understand that kind of lay the groundwork for this series. I promise you it'll be helpful, okay? Today we're going to talk about our second value, that is family. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Uh, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 12. Uh, I'll be in the ESV translation as per usual. And if you don't have your Bible, that's totally fine. The words will be on the screen. It'll be convenient there for you. Now, as you flip in there, the... I've been, in, I've been in a pastor since 2007, um, and one of the things about pastoring is you, you get to know people. You get to know their stories, you get to know their backgrounds, you get to know what experiences they've had, and one of the things that I think is the most formative thing in a person's life is how they relate to family. Um, I think for many of us in the room, uh, for some of you at least, uh, family is like a good thing. It, it's something that has blessed you. It's, it's good for you. I mean, some of your, your closest relationships, people that have been so supportive and loving and, prov- and provided for you and kind of like you have shoulders to stand on has been your biological family. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's a gift from the Lord. Hear me say that. But I'm not naive enough Uh, to think that for some of you, family, it's like a terrible thing. It's not even really a gray area. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, it was what it was, but no, 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 like it's bad. Like some of the most 
painful experiences in your life have come inside your family. Um, and I just want to be sensitive this morning when we talk about family, okay? Because there really are, there's like a plethora of different experiences um, that we could have in the church when we talk about family. Um, so just hear me say that because the most frequent metaphor, I already said this this morning, the most frequent metaphor used in the scriptures to define the church is family, by far. Like it's, the, it's, the, it's, out, it's way out in front, okay? It's like if Usain Bolt was like running a race against me, he'd be like way out in front. That's the metaphor of family that we see in the scriptures, okay? But what does it mean that the church is family? That's what we're going to talk about today, okay? So hopefully you are at Matthew chapter 12 by now. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. So if you would, would you join me in prayer? Father, Father, thank you for your grace. Um, Thank you that you really do love us. It's crazy to think about the depths of your love. And I I ask this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would, um, mm, that you give this room faith, like you give us faith to trust you this morning, maybe in some ways that are sensitive. I pray that we'd have ears to hear this morning. Um, And because... Um, of maybe past hurts or, or even like things that we think we have figured out or whatever. Like I pray that we would have a humble mind, myself included, a humble mind this morning to really absorb and hear exactly what you have for us this morning. Um, I love you. Please help me to honor these precious people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 12. I'm gonna read vor- verses uh, 46 through 50 and then we'll jump in, Okay. So Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 46. While he, the he there is Jesus, okay, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Okay, so imagine you have a room full of people, Jesus inside, he's talking to them, and it's like if this room was totally packed, and, you know, Jesus' mother and his brothers are outside, and they want to get his attention, that's what's happening here, okay? Verse 48. But he replied to the man who told him, he said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Okay. So we're going to talk about three things today. If you're taking notes, write these down. Uh, I think there's a notes thing on the Restored app. If you want to use that, you can use a pencil and paper. That's cool too. Uh, We're talking about these three things. What we learn about family, what we learn about the church, and what it means for us. Okay? What we learn about family, what we learn about the church, and what it means for us like as Restored Church, if this is going to be a value for us. Okay? So what we learn about family, let's jump in. Now, like we talked about, biological family, it means different things to different people, okay, based on your experience, on what you've experienced, on what's happened to you. And like I said before, some people, like family is those, it's that group of people that you can rely on the most. Like, you know they have your back. It's ride or die, okay? Like, if all else fails, your family, your biological family will be here. That's awesome. That's great, okay? For others... It's people you can't rely on. There's been disappointments. There's been letdowns. There's been all sorts of things, right? And in some cases, it's the people that you've been hurt by the most. But hear me say this. 
no matter what your story is, no matter what your background is, no matter what your experience is with biological family, all of us, every person in this room, at the core of our being, all of us have one chief desire, and that's to be fully known and fully loved. There's not one person on the face of the planet, no matter how tough you think you are, like that doesn't want to be fully known and fully loved. Every person desires that. We were created to desire that. We have this desire to have deep, meaningful, lasting relationships. We desire to be part of family. Okay? In verse 49, back over here, Jesus says that his disciples are his true family. Where, where those disciples, they relate to each other as brother and sister, okay? And they relate to God as father. Are you tracking with me? Give me an amen if you are. I need you guys to wake up. Great. Awesome. Okay. So, what we need to understand about the context of this passage is that when Jesus says this, it would have been really shocking to the people whose ears it picked up, okay? The people that heard this would have been totally shocked, Because in the ancient world, there was no closer relationship than biological family. Like, nowadays, I think most of the people would say, most of us would say, like, hey, you know, probably the closest relationship that you could have is with a spouse. I think most people would say that. I think most people would operate that way, whether you're single or not. But here's the thing. Back in the day, back in the ancient world, like, this idea of, of, of biological family it trumped even the marriage relationship. Like, it was a different thing. I want to read you a quote from this guy, Joseph Hellerman. He wrote a brilliant book called When the Church Was a Family. It's pretty, it's pretty academic, but it's, it's, it's a fantastic read. Uh, he says this about this idea that, that, that biological family in the ancient world was closer than even marriage. He says this, for, quote, for persons in Mediterranean antiquity, marriage took a backseat priority-wise to another more important family relationship, the bond between blood brothers and sisters. Marriages were essentially contractual unions intended to strengthen the larger extended family through alliance building, like with other clans, other families, right? And the production of offspring. While marriage was important for those reasons, the closest same generation family relationship was not the one between a husband and wife. It was the bond between siblings. So, Jesus is telling people whose closest relationships are with their biological family that there's an even greater family. Like a a truer family than biology. Okay, you can imagine how this would have been shocking for people. It's completely different than what they're used to. It's actually completely opposite of what they're used to. Jesus always, he seems to always have effects like that on people. But listen, here's why what Jesus is saying is true. Because biology, like my flesh, my blood, your flesh, your bones, your blood, our biology, our biology in and of itself is fallen. Like, all of us sin, all of us act selfishly, all of us disobey God in certain ways and have done that. The Bible uses this language of um, walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. You've heard this before, huh? Give me a non if you have. This idea of walking in the flesh, walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit would be synonymous with like obeying God. Like, like living under his lordship, being led by the spirit of God. So doing what he says, when he says to do it, walking in the spirit. Okay, being led by the Holy Spirit. 
which is God. Okay, walking in the flesh is synonymous with not doing that. It's synonymous with disobeying God, with walking in the flesh, walking in sin and selfishness. You tracking with me? Yes, great. Okay, so in and of itself, alone, in and of itself, biology is fallen. It's flesh, right? It's, it's, it's sinful in nature. Uh, when the Bible talks about like sinful in nature, what it's talking about is the choices that you're going to make are going to be sinful. So sin nature is that, that idea of like, you have a choice, but you're going to choose sin, okay? So a sinful in nature, a biology in and of itself, right? So biology's default state, its default state, its nature is to do the will of the flesh. To sin, it feels good, sin's pleasurable, temporarily. But Jesus describes something different here. He describes a different family. In verse 50, I don't know if you caught it, but he describes people, not who do the will of the flesh, but people who do the will of God, his Father in heaven. People who obey him. When it says to do the will of God, it's to obey him. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to see how this, this affects relationships. Like, that includes biology. So, I'm going to really simplify things as best I can to really simplify things. Biological family on its own, apart from Jesus, is made up of people who seek to do the will of the flesh. That's all of us, okay? Who seek to do the will of the flesh. And guys, that's why the world is as broken as it is, because of sin. Because we have, all of us struggle with this, this sin nature, this, this idea of living for ourselves, of making choices that benefit me at the expense of other people. And we wouldn't say that we do that, but it's pretty clear if you look at history, okay? That's why the world is as broken as it is. That's why so many of our biological families aren't what we would want them to be. I mean, like, listen, just statistically in the room right now, many of you have experienced abuse like in your family. Abandonment. Like he or she, they left. Betrayal in family. Division. Like, yeah, we don't really talk anymore. In family. I mean, the list could go on and go on and go on and go on. So here's the thing. Biology by itself, biology alone cannot produce the kind of family relationships that deep down every single one of us desire. You hear me say that? And oftentimes what happens is we start to look to things outside of of biology to find family. Okay, and oftentimes what it looks like is, you know, so biology, it lets us down, right? So instead... We look to affinity. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say affinity? Affinity is like people who like the same things as you. Okay, so um, maybe it's sports. Um, I hate that it bothered me as much as it did last night that the Dodgers got destroyed at the end of the game. Okay, I was like talking to my wife. I'm like, I hate that this bothers me as much as it does. I feel crushed. Maybe it's not sports for you. Maybe it's hobbies. Maybe it's that you make a bunch of money, or maybe it's that you don't make a bunch of money. Maybe it's what you do for a living. This idea of affinity, things that we do together, things that we have in common. Maybe it's people that look like you. Whatever it is, biology lets us down, and we look to affinity. And sometimes biology doesn't let us down, but we still look to affinity to have these deep, 
meaningful, lasting relationships. But here's the thing. Ultimately, affinity presents us with the same exact problem. Because affinity on its own, apart from Jesus, is still a group of people that are made up of people who seek to do the will of the flesh. Which inevitably, it leads to division because sin always leads to destruction and pain and brokenness. So, every person, man, you, me, everybody, we all desire deep, meaningful, lasting relationship. All of us desire family. But doing the will of the flesh, it it keeps us from actually having it, from actually experiencing it. So, how do we get this? Like, we all want it. How do we get it? We all desire it. How do we get true family? The Bible tells us the answer. The Bible tells us the answer, and the answer is that we have to be made new. It's necessary for us to have like a new nature that replaces the old nature of, want, of, of doing the will of the flesh. Are you, are you following me with this idea? Okay. Uh, it's, it's great. The Apostle John, he writes about this in John chapter 1. He says this. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, the him there is Jesus... Okay? But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, um, really quick, when it says name, it's talking about his identity. It's talking about everything that he is. Okay? So, start over, verse 12. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in everything that he is, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. There's that family language who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Friends, John's describing that faith in Jesus, it results in this like new birth, the scriptures talk about, in being made new. He's saying that believing the gospel of Jesus, that it results in a new nature, something different that was there before. And that new nature, the default state of that new nature becomes what Jesus talked about in verse 50 that we read um, in our, our original passages about doing the will of the Father, doing the will of God. He said, he said that my mother and my brothers are the ones who do the will of my Father. That's what he's talking about. This idea of doing the will of God, this new nature that John is here describing, this new birth about believing the gospel, means we have a new nature with new desires to do the will of God instead of what it was before doing the will of the flesh. So, I know I'm talking a lot at you with this stuff. Here's my position. Okay, and I genuinely believe it's what the Bible teaches. Faith in Jesus is the only way to experience true family. The way that your heart craves for. Because affinity on its own, apart from Jesus, it cannot produce it. Biology, on its own, apart from Jesus, it cannot produce it. Um, really quick, I think it's really important to note, like, please hear me say this. Jesus is not condemning biological family here at all. Biological family is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a gift from the Lord. Okay, biologically family, biological family, it matters to God. <laughs> like, remember the Ten Commandments? Number five on the list of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and your mother. Okay, it comes before don't murder. It comes before don't steal. Two things that could like destroy the fabric of relationship real quick. 
Guys, biological family, it matters to God, okay? Jesus is not condemning biological family. What he's doing here, hear me say this, what he's doing here is he's pointing people to a deeper connection, a deeper family that's only available through the grace of God. He's pointing to family that's redeemed. Family that's the way that God intends for it to be. Because biology can't in and of itself produce that. And infinity can't in and of itself produce that. Even though those are two good things. Those in and of themselves aren't bad. They just can't yield the kind of fruit that we're talking about here. You're tracking with me? Okay. And listen, I know many of you. I know many of your families. You guys have, some of you guys have incredible families. Like amazing biological families. You've experienced the joys of family even sometimes without Jesus being at the center of it. And some of you guys are even blessed with like the best of both worlds where you have an awesome, amazing biological family and they're also disciples of Jesus. Like that's the best case scenario. That's the best case scenario because you get the beauty of biology and all the gifts that are and the blessings that are associated with that with the depth and the ability to actually be what Jesus describes as true family because they're following Jesus, have a new nature. It's awesome. It's the best case scenario. Like, praise God for that. But listen to me. That's not everybody's story, man. Not everybody's blessed with that. Um, how many of you guys, how many of you guys shop at Costco? Yeah, I can't go into Costco without spending at least $100. It's like impossible. I go in there, I'm like, hey, I'm just going to get like eggs. Um, I'm just going to get eggs. I'm going to get um, milk. Um, maybe I'll get some fruit. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. I might get a bag of chips. We'll see. Like, and then I go in there and I go to the cash register and it's, uh, sure enough, it's over 100 bucks. And I'm like, this is crazy. Um, think about, I, I tend to have a soft spot for Costco, but my favorite thing about Costco is the free samples. Um, <clears throat> because, I, yeah, because I'll usually go there and... I'm the guy who's always makes the mistake of shopping for food when I'm hungry. So I'm just like, oh, the, throw it in the cart, throw it in the cart, throw it in the cart, and then I get to the cash register and I'm in trouble. Um, but I love the free sample thing. Um, there's been a handful of times where, uh, if you guys ever experienced this when you're in the line for uh, the free sample thing, and you're, you're patiently waiting, you're being honorable, and you're like, okay, this, you know, these chicken nuggets are going to get cut up in a second, and they're going to be there, and I'm waiting for it. And then some person is just like, the moment, they're not in line, but the moment it gets set out there, they're just like, boom, they get it and they go. And I'm like, I missed my opportunity on my free sample. People get kind of weird with the free samples, but sorry, I'm, I'm rambling at this point. Uh, why does Costco do that? Why does Costco give you free samples? Yeah, they give you free samples. They give you a taste because it will increase your desire for it. And hopefully that will entice you to buy it. Genius. Here's my point. Your desire for it's already there. It's already there. It's tasting the sample that fuels the desire that's already inside of you. Friends, God uses all sorts of things, all sorts of samples to get our attention. But listen to me say this. His motive is not to sell something. His motive is to satisfy. 
listen to me, even the best biological family is a taste. It's a sample of an even greater and deeper family, the family of God. And listen, it's like the same with marriage. Like even the best marriage. Like I adore my wife. I love her. She's so much better than me in every single way. And and here's the cool thing too. It's like, and this is, I'm not trying to sound cliche. Each like day, I genuinely, my love for her grows because I I get to know her more. I'm still learning about her heart. I'm still like discovering intricacies about her personality and the way that God created her and the gift that she is. Marriage is awesome, right? But even the best marriage is a taste. It's it's a sample of the intimacy and oneness available in Jesus. It's God in his kindness giving us a sample. The desire is already there. But it all points back to him. Parenting, same way. Like, those of you guys um, that know, I have two daughters. um, Amelia's six and Vivian's four. Um, uh, I kind of joke around because Amelia cares so much about what people think. Um, she genuinely does. I think she tries to love people. Um, so I, I kind of make, her sister's different. Uh, Vivian is like, she's punk rock, dude. She just like, I'm, I'm doing, we're doing the best we can to disciple her and show her uh, and model for her that authority is a good thing in her life and that God placed it there for a reason um, and it's challenging. But they're very different. But hear me say this, like, I love my girls, okay? I love them. It's a, di- it's a different kind of love. Um, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I've never loved anything the way that I love my daughters. It's crazy. Um, it's this unconditional, strong, immovable thing. Um, I'm not a perfect dad. My love for them isn't perfect, but I've never experienced that kind of depth of love, okay? Parenting, it's the same kind of thing. Like, it's a taste It's a sample of the unconditional and unending fatherly love of God. God wants to get our attention with things. My daughters are a blessing. They really, really are, but they're a sample that would then direct me to the source. God's kindness. Jesus here is saying that the family of God, it transcends even biological family. It's the truest type of family there is because it's family redeemed with a new nature, desiring a different will that isn't walking in the flesh. Okay. And here's the thing too, like the scriptures, guys, they make it really, really clear. We were created in the image of God. All people created in the image of God, in his likeness, right? To reflect what God is like. That's what it means to be created in his image. We would reflect what he's like. We take on some of his characteristics. We're, we're, we're made in his image. And you guys know this. God is triune, like the, the Trinity, right? One God made up of three persons. The mystery, the beautiful mystery of the Trinity. God is himself. We talked about this midweek at some of the gospel communities. God is in of, his, of himself. He is community. And we were created in his image. We're, You and I were created for these deep, meaningful, lasting relationships. We were created in the image of God to reflect what he's like to each other and to the world around us. We were created for this kind of relationship. Okay, my second point. What we learn about the church. I'll go quicker from here on out, okay? What we learn about the church. 
Now, we've already talked about how the overwhelming metaphor that we see in the scriptures for the church is family, okay? There's other ones. There's the body. We talked about that earlier with membership. There is the army. Um, There is the bride. There is the temple, like the dwelling place of where God is. But the church is primarily a family. And that has some implications, okay? So for starters, the church, and therefore Christians, disciples of Jesus, they're not a collection of isolated individuals. Okay, let me read you another quote from Joseph Hellerman in his book, When the Church is a Family. He says this, quote, the New Testament picture of the church as a family flies in the face of our individualistic cultural orientation. God's intention is not to become the feel-good father of a myriad of isolated individuals who appropriate the Christian faith as yet another avenue towards personal enlightenment. Nor is the biblical Jesus to be conceived of as some sort of spiritual mentor whom we can happily take from church to church or from marriage to marriage, fully assured, listen to this, that our personal Savior will somehow bless and redeem our destructive relational choices every step of the way. You may be surprised to discover that the expression personal savior occurs nowhere in the passages of scripture. Our radical overemphasis on a personal relationship with God is an American, not a biblical, theological construction. Dang. (sighs) What Hellerman is saying is that isolated Christians is not something we see in scripture. Because there's no anonymity in Christianity. Because the Christian belongs to a family. Now listen, of course, the Christian has a personal relationship with God. Like, absolutely, don't hear me say that. That's an important thing, okay? We know God is Father. It's massive, okay? It's huge. But a Christian doesn't only have a personal relationship with God. A Christian has a communal relationship with God as well. It's this idea of interdependence, interconnected relationship because a Christian belongs to a family. So really quick, in light of all this family talk, I want to take a moment and talk about what the church is not. Okay, if the church is a family, it means it's not some other things. Okay, primarily the church is not a building. You hear us talk about this all the time. Uh, The church is not a building. The church is not an event that you attend. Like you're not at church right now. This is, this is not church, this is the church gathered, okay? We don't go to church. Uh, th- you guys know this, language is super important. Language is super important. I want to challenge you with something. If this is, if this is your church, I want to challenge you not to say the phrase, I'm going to church. You might be like, dude, why are you being so religious with me? Like, don't try to control me. It's important. And the reason it's important is because language is important because what language does is it communicates what something is. And when we say things, I, I've, I've like, trained my daughters. We don't go to church. We go to the worship gathering. We go to spend time with our church family. We go to the birthday party, and the church will be there. We go to these things. We, we, we have these rhythms of life, but we don't go to church because we are the church. And I think so much of the misunderstandings of what actually Christianity is is because of the language that we use. And I think we can redeem that. I think it could be something that honors God and glorifies him and encourages each other and blesses our city. So I want to challenge you. Don't say, I'm going to church. And, if, and here's the cool thing, too, is if you catch one, like if, if Herrick catches me saying it, he can lovingly be like, hey, dude, what do you mean go to church? And we can help each other with this, okay? 
So it's cool. We actually trained our daughters with this. I think it's been really, really helpfully helpful. And I can honestly say they have no concept that the church is anything other than you. They genuinely, like, and here, this is honestly, this is like a pastoral fantasy. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> that sounded weird. Uh, but I'm going to say it anyway. This is genuinely a fantasy of mine that our children, that they would, if, if someone were to ask them, hey, like, what, what church do you attend? That they would be so confused. They'd be like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? What church do I attend? Like, the, I have relationships. I have, a, I have a church family that I belong to that knows me and loves me and that I love. But I don't understand this idea of attending church because the church is not a building. It's not an event. Like, nowhere in Scripture is that what we see, ever. It's not something we go to. It's kind of a westernized thing. I mean, you could even ask uh, Christians in third world countries. You can ask Christians in China, Christians in Africa. They're not using that phrase. <clears throat> I think it would be so cool if when our kids were asked, what church do you attend? They were just like, I have no idea how to answer that question. I don't even know what you're talking about. Pastoral fantasy. Take it, take it for what it's worth. Keep that one. Okay. <clears throat> Here's why this is so important. Okay. This isn't just like my opinion. Here's why this is so important. When we treat the church like an event that you attend, it inevitably becomes a product that we consume. And when the church becomes a product that you consume, it, like, it mutates. It mutates the beauty of true family and it turns it into entertainment. Like for an hour or two of amusement on a Sunday morning. And when that happens, it's only a matter of time until the church essentially becomes a business. Pastors become managers and CEOs instead of shepherds and servants. And you have a product. Like, and that product, what it does is it enters a marketplace. It enters a marketplace, and then what happens is it starts to compete with other businesses for market share. In the case of the, quote, church, we're talking about attendance. In the church, like the blood-bought family of God becomes tribal and competitive in the same way that like Apple competes with Microsoft. It's like, what team are you on? Local churches compete for market share. Uh, let me read you a quote from this... Um, a British guy named Terry Virgo. This guy's like a church father. Um, he led this movement in the UK called New Frontiers. They planted so many churches. I've actually got time with this man. You ever around people that are just like, um, that are seasoned and they're super godly and you're just like, you love Jesus so much. You're patient, you're kind, you're wise, you're encouraging. He's like, he's just a boss, okay? He says this. He wrote this book called The Spirit-Filled Church. It's brilliant. He says this, quote, more recently, pastors have been increasingly impressed by the successful growth of businesses and the methods used by business leaders to promote growth. This has often led to a pragmatism foreign to the atmosphere of the Bible. Professionals are hired as so-called staff members and assessed on their accomplishments, and if necessary, are fired, as in a business, if their work rate or stats don't impress rather, listen to this, than being recognized as elders emerging among the flock. 
Churches can sometimes be obsessed with numbers so that members feel that they are merely a means to an end and not particularly valued for themselves. Growth can be measured purely in terms of the body count on Sundays, listen to this, while spiritual growth and developing maturity can be marginalized or go unnoticed. This isn't just a guy with an opinion. This is a guy with decades of like church planning and church leading experiences all over the world. And chances are many of you don't know his name because he's not a celebrity. Friends, when the church becomes an event, it inevitably mutates into a business where people become resources. Pastors become managers. Oh, and God forbid, Jesus becomes a product. Guys, Jesus is not a product. Jesus is the savior of the world. He's the lover of your soul. Like he's the lamb of God who died to take away the sins of the world. He's not a product, he's a person. He's glorious. And the church is not a building, it's not an event, it's not a business. It's a family that's redeemed. That includes biology sometimes and affinity sometimes. Praise God. And yes, let me hear, hear me say this. The church gathers in buildings. I'm not anti-building. We're in one right now. Okay, the church gathers in buildings. Yes, the church has events. Like in the same way my family has events. Okay, we, we have birthday parties and we have celebrations. And, and in a month or two, we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner. Okay, those are all things the Logue family does, but they aren't in and of themselves the Logue family. Like Thanksgiving dinner is Thanksgiving dinner. It's something my, my family does. We attend it. It's an event, but it's not the Logue family. The church gathers. It's people. It's, this is not church. We, we do things. We have events, but the church isn't the event. You're tracking with me. Okay. Um, and then we can talk about business too. Like my, church, my family has a budget. Like our household, it has a budget, just like a business has a budget. But it doesn't make my family a business. My, my family's not a business because the priorities of a family are different than the priorities of a business. Because a family prioritizes relationship. Businesses, they prioritize results. Those are two different things. I'm not anti-business. God, listen, hear me, hear me say this. God is bringing his kingdom through business. Okay, there, are, there are gifted business owners in our church, and they're ushering in God's kingdom into a place that desperately needs it. It's beautiful. I'm not anti-business. I'm not anti-event. The church is just not a business. Okay, my final point. What does it mean for us? Okay? So, if the church being a family is going to be truly something that we as Restored Church actually values, that we don't just have head knowledge, but it influences what we do, if we're actually going to value it, it means it will significantly affect how we operate. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through a list really quickly. Um, This is just to get this on your radar, but... This is not an exhaustive list. This is just the first things that came to my mind as I was praying, okay? First one is this. These are, these are the, the ways, this is what it means for us. If we're going to make, if this is going to be a value to us, what's, how it's actually going to in, influence what we do, okay? First is this, like prioritizing time together. It's a big deal. Let me read it to you out of Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 24 and 25. Literally written to Christians. And let us, the us as Christians, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
Friends, being together is important, man. It's really important. The church isn't an event. The church is people. It's relationship. Being together is important because, listen, you can't have deep, meaningful, lasting relationships without spending time together. It's impossible. Okay, the next one. It means we fight for unity. We fight for unity. If you guys were here a couple weeks ago, um, Andy, Andy Rogers, who leads uh, the First Restored Church in, down in, in San Diego, uh, he came and preached on conflict, on, on unity in the church and how do we resolve conflict as followers of Jesus. Because conflict, here's the thing, it's not like a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when, right? Because we have people, like you guys are like me, right? You sin sometimes, right? Yeah, which means you act selfishly sometimes, which means you're going to tick the people off around you when they recognize your selfishness. Yeah, that's going to create conflict. That's going to that's influence the way we relate to each other, okay? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And valuing family means prioritizing the relationship over who's right and who's wrong. It's not about justifying ourselves. It's not about being proven right. It's not about winning an argument. It's about maintaining a familial relationship with Jesus at the center. The relationship is the priority. It means we don't fight to prove ourselves. We fight to preserve unity. It means we like are ongoingly, like in an ongoing way, we are practicing forgiveness and grace. You just know what it means to practice something, right? means to do it over and 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 over again until you get really, really good at it, until it becomes second nature. Being the family of God means we are practicing forgiveness when we're offended and extending the same grace and forgiveness that we've received from our Heavenly Father because this relationship informs these relationships. Okay, it means we guard against gossip and division. I think Andy did a great job of like tackling this. If you, if, if you hear the gossip happening, just shut it down. Hey, have you talked to them yet? You probably should. And not in a judgmental way. Again, you want to preserve unity. You don't want to be like, oh, your sin's gross. I think you're sinning right now. Ugh. No, that's, that's, you're literally doing the opposite of what we want to do. Okay, so we guard against gossip. We guard against division. How does that play out? Um, oh, can I pick on, I talked to Jules on Tuesday at our gospel community, and we were like having this brotherly, sisterly banter back and forth about how the, the ladies' social like a month ago or something, was great. All the ladies were beaming. They loved it. They thought I had such a great time. And then we had the guys social like, I don't know, a week or two ago, and it was fantastic. Um, guys, if you were there, you know, it was like, give me some love here. It was, it was outstanding. And I was like, giving, I was giving her a hard time. Like, man, the guys social was really great. And Jules, like, she hosted in her home. She loved these ladies. She helped create an environment where like, honestly, these women had a fantastic time and they really enjoyed each other. And I was like kind of, you know, like poking at her a little bit. And then I walked into her afterwards like, hey, I just want to be clear. Like, if any, if, when I said that, if that was like hurtful in any way, I'm so sorry. Like I was, I was communicating love in a way that maybe will work with you. And she's like, no, 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 I communicate love by teasing in the same way. But like I thought it was important to go out of my way to guard against any division. Because she might be like, dude, Tom was like a jerk. Like, yeah, the guy social was great, but did you have to slam the lady social? I thought the lady social was amazing. All the ladies loved it. Like, you see what I'm saying? All those room for the thoughts and the insecurities and the division, like, uh-uh. Like, I knew it, like, it was funny, because I knew it right after I, said it, she, or after I said it, and you called me on it, and I was like, she's like, you know, it's okay. Like, thank you, but it's okay. That's what I'm talking about, this idea of guarding against division, guarding against gossip, practicing forgiveness and grace. She was so gracious with me, because the relationship is the priority. You following me? 
Okay, next one. It means we actually experience life together. Write this one down. Okay? It means we actually experience life together. We actually celebrate together. We actually mourn together. Um, Eric lost his mom. It affected me. Like, it wasn't just like, okay, yeah, you're going to go deal with all this stuff. I'll pray for you, bro. Like, me and Ebony, it affected our family. Because Eric's my brother. And he lost someone very, very, very close to him. And any of you guys that have experienced the pain of death, man, things are just not the way they're supposed to be. Thank God for Jesus coming to make things right once and for all. But things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Whenever you, if you've experienced that, like you know it's awful. I hate it. I hate that my friends have to experience this. I hate that my family has to experience this. But like, is it just something that he's doing on his own? Is, is the mourning and the loss of his mom, is it something he's doing on his own? No, like we actually experience life together. It hurt me because it hurt him. On the flip side, do we actually celebrate together? Like, experiencing life, man. Are we actually giving ourselves over to celebrating? Like, listen, when was the last time you actually celebrated something? And I'm not talking about, you might have heard me talk about this before, but I'm not talking about, like, just going to the birthday party. I'm here, I brought a gift, I got my family ready, we're cool, we're here, check, love you, great, yeah, happy birthday, man. Okay, now we get to go home and actually chill. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about going through the motions. I'm talking about experiencing life together. When was the last time you actually celebrated? When was the last time you were silly because you were so celebratory? Me and Rocky were talking about this the other day. I was like, I want to be the type of person where like, my identity is so secure in Jesus, I don't give a rip what anybody else thinks about, you, about me, and I get to actually enjoy the blessings and the things that are worth celebrating. And I don't like fill up my calendar so much so that I don't have time for that. I don't have time to actually give myself over because my to-do list is so long and I have so many things to do. No, man. Like, I want to experience life. I just don't, I don't want to just like be passing through it. Like, yes, we have an eternity waiting for us. If, you're, if your faith is in Jesus, we have an eternity waiting for us. It's beautiful. But I don't want to just pass through. I want to get every single, ounce, I want to squeeze every ounce of, of God's blessing and his presence in this life. Are we actually experiencing life together? Are we just going through the motions? It was really cool. Uh, one, maybe one or two more um, examples of this. Uh, Robbie and Liz, uh, they shared a video with me this week of baby Emery crawling for like the first time. And like I'm literally on my computer and I'm like writing my sermon and, and I see the message and I see the video and it's like the cutest thing. It's so adorable and I literally stopped in a moment. I was like, I got to join them in like the celebration of like a beautiful moment. It's special, man. In this, in this sweet, precious baby girl's development. I got to join them in celebrating that. And I also got to pray for them because now the baby's mobile. And they, you better be conditioned, man. I know the CrossFit's working, but you're going to be sprinting <clears throat> like a fugitive, you know. But like I got to share in that. I got to, we get to experience life together, actually experience. And I'm just like, oh, congratulations, emoji, ha. Ah. But like, 
I got to actually experience the joy of watching this precious little baby girl develop and crawl across the floor. Um, on, what was it, Friday night, we got to go see Kyle and Andrea and their band play and their gifted musicians. I mean, I got to like, I got to experience their creativity on display and the fun that they were having and um, a lot of the church was there. I got to dance with my daughters. Like, it was, it was wonderful. I'm talking about experiencing life together. I'm not talking about going through it or getting through it. You understand what I'm talking about? not just moving through life together, but actually experiencing it. Okay, one more thing, uh, two more things, actually. Uh, one of the things that this means for us is that we're honest and vulnerable. We're honest and we're vulnerable because, listen, you cannot be loved unless you're known. You can't be loved unless you're known. And you can't be truly known unless you're honest. So if you're not honest, you're stiff-arming love. We talked about this a bit last week, but the gospel, the good news about Jesus, it actually frees us to be honest and vulnerable because it means we're all on the same level. Like the cross levels the playing field. It means all of us are completely broken. We're all desperately in need of a savior. Okay, it means we're all on the same level and no one is better than anybody else or no one's worse than anybody else. So this is a safe family where you can be honest and you can be vulnerable because the cross means all of us in the room are a mess. It means we desperately need saving, okay? And if, here's the thing. If you're not a mess, it means Jesus died for nothing. If you're, the, if you're the person, you don't need it, okay, that's fine. But like, legitimately, if we're not all a mess, it means the cross was for nothing. But we only need a savior. <clears throat> Another thing, what does it mean? It means we practice the one another's in scripture, I'm almost done, guys. I'm going to wrap up quick, okay? Practice the one another's in Scripture. Uh, this isn't an exhaustive list, but I'm going to like read these really quick just so that you can jot them down. Be at peace with one another. Don't envy one another. Uh, be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving to one another. Confess sins to one another. Serve one another. On, 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 on. Bear one another's burdens. Like, what does that mean? To bear one another's burdens? It means to carry the load. If Sean's got a burden, it means it's on my back, too. We bear one another's burdens. How does this play out? I've already seen this happen in beautiful ways. It means like we help each other with childcare. We don't charge each other. Bearing the burden of parenthood, bearing the burden of trying to maintain a marriage with young kids that are trying to destroy your life. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you're a child, we love you deeply. Okay. <clears throat> it means when a family has a new baby, then we fill that meal train up. Not for like a week, for like a month. We rally. We bear one another's burdens. It means we help each other move. This has been already been a cool marker of this church, which is great. You want to know how you know if you love somebody? You help them move, okay? It's the worst thing in the world. Okay, so you inevitably, the older you get, the, inevitable, like, the more inevitable it becomes that you hurt some part of your body that you need for the rest of the week. It happens every time. It means if there's a financial emergency or a financial need, like we rally, we pull together and we meet the need. Someone loses the job, they can't pay their mortgage or their rent, we got you. It means we bear each other's burdens. It means we take responsibility for each other. Friends, the church isn't like a family. The church is a family. That's why gospel communities are such a big deal for us. They're a huge deal for us. As a church, we have two 
primary strategies to grow as followers of Jesus, two strategies to grow as disciples, gospel community, and this gathering, this worship gathering, okay? GC is not an event. GC is gospel community. It's not an event in the same way that this gathering is, or that the church is not an event. The GC is people. It's a community of people learning to enjoy, obey, and operate like Jesus in every single area of life and helping each other do the same. Okay, that's what a gospel community is. Um, I know... I know many of you have been like expressing a desire to, to, to get into a gospel community. We're working really, really hard to honestly create more space. Um, practically speaking, probably after the holidays, most likely after the holidays, just because things get tough, people's availabilities, um, Thanksgiving and Christmas, that's coming. I really appreciate many of you being so patient with this and, um, and being understanding we're working this out. Okay, it really, really matters to us. But guys, like, my family, the Burgas, the team of people that moved here, that reoriented their lives to plant this church, we didn't reorient our lives to plant a gathering. We didn't reorient our lives to plant an event. We reorient our lives to plant a church. The family of God. It's not going to happen without gospel community. It's the primary area where the, the one another's are practiced, where we grow as family. Um, I'll call the band up. I'll close with this. I know I'm going a little bit long, a lot a bit long. That's what happens when I read too much during the week. Um, family doesn't happen overnight. Like, it does take time, right? This isn't something that's going to happen, like, tomorrow. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes intentionality. And more than anything, it takes individual people, that's you and I, believing and receiving the gospel, Believing and receiving the gospel because faith in Jesus is the only way to experience true family. Biology alone can't do it. Affinity alone can't do it. Only Jesus has the power to transform individualistic, selfish people like me and like you into family. Only Jesus has the power to redeem. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. I'm going to pray for us. Um, one of my favorite chapters in scripture uh, is John chapter 17. It's this amazing chapter where Jesus is praying and he's praying for the church. He's praying for you. He's literally praying for the church. And he prays um, that the people of God would be so powerfully united like they would be so intimately connected that the rest of the world would believe the gospel just by how connected and how intimate the church is. Hear me say this. The family of God is for your benefit, but it's not only for you. The desire for family is in the heart of every single person, man. Every person craves that, desires it. And do you know what happens when other people encounter the true family of God? When they encounter different types of people, different ages, different stages of life, different race, different background, different brokenness. When they see these, this different kind of motley crew collection of people all united in deep, meaningful, lasting relationships with each other, they get a taste of what God is like. It's, we're made in his image to reflect his likeness. They see the reflection, man. Yes, we get blessed. We get his presence. 
we get to experience him through the hands and feet of his body, that is the church. But the beautiful thing about God is his love is comprehensive. It doesn't just stop with us. It goes out to the world because we reflect what he's like. I don't know about you, but like, I don't want to spend my life going through the motions, guys. I don't want to spend the one life I got playing games relationally. I want to love you and be loved by you with Jesus at the center. I want to be family. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your grace that covers us and really bonds us together. Thank you that the grace and the love of God is the only thing that can really keep relationships deep, meaningful, and lasting. I pray for my friends in this room who don't know the love that you have for them in a deep fatherly way, or maybe it's been a while. My simple prayer, Holy Spirit, is that all of us would experience your fatherly love. Like this morning, not someday. This morning, Spirit, because of your character, because of your kindness, because of your grace, I'm asking you to do that, and I'm asking you to do it now. Because of who you are, out the fatherly love of God into every heart in this room because we can never be fully satisfied without it and we can never be family without it we can never be brothers and sisters for the sake of your kingdom for the sake of your glory and for the sake of our good pour the love of the father out on us